This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When God breathed life into Adam, he knew that this horrible dark day would eventually come. The day that he would surrender his one and only son to suffer, to carry our sin, to be separated from him for a time, so that we would not have to be separated from him for eternity. This is love. Nearly 2,000 years ago, on a Friday night outside the city walls of Jerusalem, a series of events began to unfold, events that seemed so random to the disciples. But in fact, they'd been set in motion in the Garden of Eden. This time, when he was confronted by the religious leaders, Jesus didn't disappear into the crowd. He didn't refute their baseless arguments. He allowed himself to be arrested, to be tried. And because of his love for us, God did not intervene. And heaven was eerily silent as Jesus endured the cruelest death known to man. Even though he was never convicted of a single crime. Nothing compares to the self-restraint that God showed as he watched his own son suffer and die. This is love. All of Scripture had been pointing to this pivotal event. The prophets had predicted it. Jesus himself had warned his disciples that his death was imminent. And when the time came, he suffered willingly. No one took his life from him, the Scriptures tell us. He did it willingly for one reason. Because of his love for you and for me. And so it began on a Friday night, 2,000 years ago. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you won't fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. In his sweat, it was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples, and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up, pray, so that you don't fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cut off his right ear. Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests, to the officers of the temple guard, to the elders who had come for him, 
Am I leading a rebellion that you've come after me with clubs and swords? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you didn't lay a hand on me. But this, this is your hour when darkness reigns. And seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. So the religious leaders and the temple guards led Jesus off to Pilate. They made all kinds of accusations against him. That he was politically dangerous. That he was opposed to paying taxes. That he set himself up as a king in opposition to Caesar. They made their best case. But Jesus refused to answer even one of these trumped up charges. All this amazed Pilate who ultimately found Jesus innocent. But he still had this unruly mob that he had to deal with, so he came up with a compromise. It was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus, who was called the Messiah, for he knew it was out of self-interest they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they'd mocked him, they took off the robe And they put his own clothes on him. And then they led him away to crucify him. When we read that account, it's painfully clear that Jesus had done nothing to deserve the horrific things that were about to happen to him. Pilate was correct. Jesus was an innocent man. There was only one reason for Jesus to suffer that day. I can't get past Isaiah's words in Isaiah 53 when he said... 
Jesus was pierced for my rebellion. He was crushed for my sin. He was beaten so I could be whole. He was whipped so I could be healed. That day, God laid all of my sin on him. We can't fathom the indignity and the shame endured by Jesus that day. He was handed over to about 80 Roman soldiers, professional executioners who took sick pleasure in honing the cruelty of their craft. Many a man didn't survive the beating that Jesus was about to endure. Because he was human, I have to believe that every lash of the whip Every crunch of a fist on his flesh must have made Jesus question his resolve. The soldiers mocked him. They jammed a crown of thorns down on his head. They put a purple robe on him and mocked his claims of a kingdom. They beat his head with rods. And all the while, the angels in heaven waited. Just one word from Jesus, and this would all be over. But his strong resolve, his commitment of love for you and me, Jesus endured this horrific beating. And when it was over, they placed that rough, hewn cross on his raw, beaten back, and he was forced to carry that to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there he was crucified between two common thieves, Men who had been arrested, tried, convicted for their crimes. One of those men saw Jesus' powerlessness as an example of God's impotence. The other saw it as proof of God's love. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watch, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him that read, he is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we're being punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done no wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today... You'll be with me in paradise. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why? Why? 
have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and he filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone and let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. The cruel agony of crucifixion is that somehow, if you manage to survive the beatings, if you manage to make it all the way to Golgotha, and you're raised up on that cross, the death comes slowly. To simply take a breath, you have to gather all your strength and push your legs against the nails that are driven through your feet. Pull against the nails that are driven into your wrists in order to raise your body up enough to draw air into your lungs. And when at last you don't have the strength to pull against the nails anymore. You eventually begin to die slowly by suffocation. Jesus hung on that cross for hours, suspended between heaven and earth with the the sin of the world placed on his shoulders. Your sin, my sin. And that sin caused a separation to come between Jesus and God, his Father, for the very first time. That's what caused Jesus to cry out and say, God, Father, why have you left me? And as the last breath of life was leaving his body, he cried out, God, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross that day. It was his love for us. He bore the pain. He bore the separation from God out of love for us. So that no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, if we've asked Jesus for his grace and forgiveness, if we've invited him into our lives, then we are forgiven. We stand clean in the presence of God. We come now to a very special time in our Good Friday service. Communion is a time when we remember and we celebrate this incredible act of love where Jesus willingly took on our sin, laid down his life for us, died in our place. And on Good Friday here at Westridge, we celebrate communion just a little bit differently. 
There are four stations for communion here on the lower level. One in the mezzanine. And there will be two people at each of these stations to serve the communion elements to you. In a moment, while the song is being sung, the music's being played, we invite anyone who would desire to celebrate communion to simply get up, go to the station that's closest to you, whenever you're ready and celebrate communion. And when you take the bread, when you drink the cup, remember Jesus who hung on that cross because of his incredible love for you. After communion, return to your seat. And after a time, there's going to be some worship songs that we'll sing together. And if you've Come prepared with an offering tonight. We're also going to collect an offering, but we don't want anyone to feel pressure with that tonight. We're going to celebrate communion together. We're going to worship together. We're going to give together. All as acts of love expressed to the one who gave his all for us as the ultimate act of love. Let's pray. God, we are reminded again tonight of the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of your love for us. We are amazed, we are in awe that you would love us so much, that Jesus, you would love us so much, endure so much for us. We're humbled. grateful. We remember and we celebrate now with grateful hearts around the communion table in the name of the one who purchased our forgiveness, who sealed our eternity with his body and his blood, even Jesus, in whose name we pray. Joseph, who had become a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of a rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. The next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. And this last deception, oh, it'll be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. 
So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So with self-satisfaction, the religious leaders walked away from the tomb. Jesus was dead. They were done with him. This whole mess is over. It was far from over. Two thousand years ago, as darkness descended on Golgotha, emotions there ran from despair to jubilation. I doubt that anyone standing on that hill really fully understood the importance of Jesus' three simple words. It is finished. That company of 80 soldiers was largely indifferent to the man on the center cross. He was just another rebel, another megalomaniac. His death just meant a little less trouble in a troubled region. This work, it's finished. Standing close to the cross was Mary, Jesus' mother, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, and a few of Jesus' close followers. They watched the whole crucifixion close up. They saw Jesus' body beaten almost beyond recognition, hanging on that cross. To Mary, words of the angel Gabriel announcing the birth of her son were a distant memory. All the promises, Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace, finished. Even earth itself seemed to convulse at the thought of what was happening on that hill. The earth shook, the rocks split, the sky turned dark. How could this be happening? Why? Then there were the disciples, confused, questioning. How could a Messiah face defeat? How could God be crucified? And all that talk of a kingdom on earth that Jesus had done for three years, it's finished gone. Well, then you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees were elated. Religious rulers were jubilant. They'd been trying to kill Jesus for two years. And at last, one of their plans had succeeded. They had finally squashed this heresy. This work of trying to kill Jesus it's finished. And the devil devil and his devil and his demons are dancing. Whatever God had in mind, whatever his plan was, it, it's finished. Done. It is finished. So the religious leaders patted themselves on the back. They celebrated. Whatever Jesus was about, whatever he was doing, it's all over. It's done. He's gone. Nobody understood on that Friday evening. Because it seemed like death had won. Sin had conquered. Evil had the last word. 
But when Jesus said, it is finished, it wasn't a resignation. It wasn't a statement that he had lost. He wasn't giving up on his hopes and dreams. He wasn't giving up on the salvation of mankind. Sunday was coming. On Sunday, the Pharisees would learn that the greatest threat wasn't that somebody would get in the tomb. It was that Jesus would break out of the tomb. On Sunday, God would have the last word. On Sunday, death would be defeated. On Sunday, heaven would speak. On Sunday, Jesus would rise. On Sunday, we'd find out that Jesus' last words, it's finished, meant that all the horrible suffering had purchased our freedom. Our sin had been forgiven. It is finished. The debt's been paid. It's been canceled. We are free. It is finished. It ain't over. Our hope in Jesus has just begun.